few weeks ago, I uh, got back to the church one afternoon. I don't, I don't remember the details of what was going on. I got on my computer, and uh, a, a message popped up, an email popped up. Now, I should change my email, but I'm not in administrative class today, but I should change it where I, those don't pop up. But it did. It popped up. I clicked on it, and um, I don't remember what the, what the, the uh, oh, what's it called? The subject. subject was. I don't remember that. Uh, but I do remember the first line. It said something about, um, there's, I feel like there's been some tension between us, and I didn't know how to talk about it except for to send you an email. Well, talk about a way to start an email, man. It's like, uh, you know, you start getting nervous. What have I done? Who have I offended? Um, and uh, then the, the, the person, I'm trying to be gender neutral so I don't give the person away, but the person said, you know, I feel like there's been some tension between us. And, uh, and uh, honestly, I really think that uh, it's because you have been too nice. You haven't told the truth. Uh, as far as your what your expectations are, what you need, those sorts of things, you've just been you've been too nice to to me and to others, and uh, you haven't you haven't uh, you haven't told the truth. And, and then the next two or three pages were examples of that, but we don't need to rehearse that this morning. Um, no, not that many, but gave some examples. And then at the end, I'll never forget the email ended like this: it said, "What good is being nice if you don't tell the truth?" I mean, are you really being a, a nice person? Are you really being nice if you're not telling the truth? And I thought, I just sat there at my desk, thought, man, that's, that's true. You see, I think many times, I believe this lie that Jesus came to make us nice. And uh, he didn't come to make us mean, but he didn't come to make us nice either. He came to, to reveal truth, to be truth, to show us righteousness, and to provide a way to the Father. And sometimes that means speaking truth in love, but speaking truth to power, speaking truth um, to whoever uh, needs to hear truth, so that Christ can be glorified in your relationships, in your life, and in our lives. And this person, this one day, did it just, just that, spoke truth to me. And, and revealed some, some things that I, I know are true, and uh, but, but need to be dealt with. And this morning, we're going to look at a story that, that is right along those lines. Jesus did not come to, to be nice. He came to be true and to, to provide a way to God. And the story that we're going to look at this morning reveals just that. So if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 is where we're going to be this week, next week, and, and the following, next three weeks Leading up to and including Easter, we're going to look at the Passion Week and uh, uh, look at different accounts. If you're new to Bible study, Passion Week, all that means is the last week of Jesus' life before he's crucified, buried. And we believe, based on on the, 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 the truth of God's word and also because of the way people responded, that Jesus actually rose from the grave. He defeated death in the grave. And so we believe that, as a church, we believe that, that the Bible reveals that, and that, that evidence, that historical evidence also uh, reveals that. So over the next three Sundays, two weeks, we're going to be looking at, at that. And this morning, we're launching uh, that series off, the last week of Jesus' life, before, uh, or as we, as we push towards, towards Easter. And this morning, we're kicking that off in Mark chapter 11. Now, I know there's one person that's like Grayson, like my son, eight-year-old. 
who's thinking, this is not the last week of Jesus' life. He comes back. I get all that. That's not the point, all right? But I acknowledge that. We had that conversation at dinner last night. He was like, yes, you're right, but you're missing the entire point. You know. Mark chapter 11. Starting in verse 11. Jesus came to speak truth, to be truth, and to provide a way to the Father for all nations. Not to make us nice. Let me set, set up what's going on, and then we'll jump right in. Uh, Jesus has just had his triumphal entry. You remember, you probably remember the account. Uh, two disciples ran ahead, got a donkey, brought it back, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9, and he rides in with his 12 disciples on a donkey, and throngs of people line the street. Historians and theologians, scholars tell us that probably two million people descended on the city of Jerusalem during the week that this that Jesus' triumphal entry takes place because he was in town and they were all in town for Passover. And they didn't have big metropolitan areas like we have today. So this, I mean, this city was surging. It was the epicenter of all that was happening on planet Earth when two million people descend on Jerusalem. And line the streets, waving palm branches, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Men are taking off their outer cloaks. They're setting them on the road as Jesus passes by on this donkey, hailing him, the Messiah. They believe that he is. Now, we know from history and we know from hindsight that he was indeed exactly who he claimed to be, but they thought he was coming. He was ushering in um, this time when, when he would overthrow the Roman Empire, overthrow the emperor, and set up a kingdom here on earth. They believed that was about to happen when he rode into to Jerusalem on this donkey, ushering in Passion Week, or excuse me, the Passover. That has just taken place. When we pick up the story in verse 11, here's what it says. It says, and he entered Jerusalem. So he just came in, triumphal entry. He entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus rides in, goes straight to the temple, and it's late in the evening. He takes a look around and then heads out of Jerusalem back to Bethany, about two, three miles outside of the city, to go to sleep for the night. Next morning, he wakes up. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Next verse. And seeing in the distance a fig a tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Now, next verse. I gotta, he, he, had, he has not... And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, as his disciples heard it. So he curses the fig tree. Now, on the outside of this, on the, on the surface, this does not look good for Jesus. I mean, let's just acknowledge that. It looks like he has given in to a fit of anger. He's a little bit angry, right? Like, that happens in our house sometimes. And it looks like that's exactly what's happened with Jesus. He has given in because he's hungry. He's given in to his anger and cursed the fig tree. I mean... It does not look like the punishment fits the crime here, right? So he curses the fig tree. 
But when you look a little bit deeper and you understand what is about to come whenever he arrives into Jerusalem and at the temple, that is not what's going on at all. Jesus has not lost control. He's not given in to his anger. And really, it has nothing to do with the fig tree either. The last part of that verse says, and his disciples heard it. And that's what's most important. Because here's what's going on. Jesus is taking the opportunity to, to um, use this fig tree as, a, as, as an object lesson or, or a parable to teach the disciples about what is about to happen when they arrive, what they are about to see, what is, what is about to be revealed when they finally arrive at the temple in Jerusalem. Figs, fig trees. In the spring, the leaves, the green leaves would come back. And from, from what I, I learned, from what I studied this week, um, I'm no, you know, no scholar or, or, or no expert on fig trees, but from what I understand, when the, tr- when the leaves come back in the spring, little nodules will grow on the fig tree as well, on, on healthy fig trees. Little nodules. And, and they're, they're apparently, they're very tasty. They taste very good. And so, it was common practice when people would travel down the road and they would come across a fig tree in the spring when the leaves were beginning to develop. They would stop and they would pull off these little fruits, these little nodules, and they would eat them and they were a good snack. They tasted good and and they provided uh, some food for people that are traveling and were hungry. Jesus looks off at the distance. He sees the fig tree. He's hungry. He decides he's going to have, he's going to swing by, pick off these little nodules these little fruits, and have a snack. Well, when he arrives to the fig tree and he looks at it closer, he realizes that these little uh, fruits, these little nodules, are not growing on the tree. The leaves are growing, it looks healthy, but these little nodules, these little fruits, are not growing on the tree. And that tells Jesus something about the tree. On the outside, everything looks good. The leaves are growing It's green, but when he approaches, when he gets close, and he sees that this fruit, this tree is not bearing fruit, he realizes and he knows that the tree is either dying or diseased. And so when Jesus swings by and he sees this this reality, he sees that this tree, while it looks good on the outside from a distance, it looks healthy, it looks like it's growing, it's producing leaves. When he gets close and he inspects it a little bit closer, He realizes that the tree is dying or diseased. It's not producing fruit. And Jesus takes this opportunity to share with the disciples, hey, we're about to get to Jerusalem, and we're about to walk into the temple. And from the outside, I mean, we're going to be able to, from the outside, everything looks good. I mean, we're going to be a few blocks away from the temple, and we're going to hear the hustle and the bustle. We're going to hear commerce taking place. We're going to hear coins uh, that, are, that are being exchanged. We're going to hear these animals, the, the, the lambs and the, the bulls and the pigeons. We're going to hear all of them making noise. It's going to sound like a lot of good religious activity is taking place. But when we step in and we inspect it a little bit closer, there's death and decay that's happening among the religious people. And so Jesus, on the way in, takes a a second to explain 
use this object lesson, this parable, to explain to the disciples what is about to take place. He goes on. It says, when they, that's Jesus and the disciples, came to Jerusalem and entered the temple and began, or he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Next verse. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. So Jesus leaves the, the, the fig tree and he moves to the temple. And to understand exactly what's going on, I have to explain the, the temple really quick. When Jesus stepped into the temple, the outer court was called the court of the nations. It was where all the Gentiles, anybody who was not of the Jewish nation, could go. And the, the idea or the purpose of it was this was the place that you would come in reverence, in, in, in um, prayer, in, in meditation. All the nations, this is where they would come and they would encounter God who symbolically dwelt in the temple. So all the nations, it, it, when they had a desire to understand God, understand this God that the Israelites worshipped, the God who was creator God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when the nations wanted to understand him and, and to worship him, they would go into the temple, and when they stepped into the temple, they would be in the court of the Gentiles. It was the only place in the entire temple that non-Jewish people were allowed to go. After that, inside that court, there was the, the court of Jewish women. And then inside of that was the court of Jewish men. And then inside of that, the court of the priests. And then inside of that, the Holy of Holies, which was the only place that the high priest could go, and he could only go there certain times of the year. So Jesus steps into the temple where the nations come to find God where the nations come to experience God, where the nations come to worship God. He steps in that, that court, and he sees chaos. Two million people buying and selling. Commerce taking place. Goats and, and lambs and bulls and pigeons being bought. I mean, this place is chaotic. Think about our financial, uh, the, the floors of our financial institutions. You've probably seen it on, on TV before, how chaotic that is. Now just throw in livestock. Josephus, Josephus, Josephus the historian, easy for me to say, he, he speculated or he, he guessed um, that 255,000 lambs alone would be bought, sold, and slaughtered during this week. So think about our, our, our financial institutions and then throw in 255,000 lambs, goats, bulls, and pigeons on top of that. And that's the picture of what you have going on in the courts of the Gentiles. This place is chaotic. And it's the place that God has set aside for the nations to find him, to trust in him, and to be saved by him. This is where that happens. And chaos reigns. The, the, the writer, the gospel writer Mark, specifically sets out three people that Jesus confronts in the temple. I read, if there's a way to go back, yeah, thank you. It says that he um, overturned the tables of the money changers, and he sold those 
or he and uh, the seats of those who sold pigeons. And then the last one, next verse, those uh, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Why would Jesus or the writer, excuse me, why would the writer Mark um, kind of set aside or, or pull out three specific people or three types of people that Jesus confronted in the temple? Well, there's a reason for that. Number one, the first group of people that the uh, gospel writer Mark points out is the people who exchanged money. Now, when these two million people descended on the temple, every good Jewish person or or every Gentile who wanted to experience uh, God would pay a temple tax when they arrived. But not just any currency would do. You had to have currency that was minted in Jerusalem because all the other currency would have the emperor's face on it. And that was considered idolatry to offer um, the emperor's money as um, a, a payment for the temple tax. So when all of the people would descend on the city of Jerusalem and come to the temple, they would take out the money that they normally use to buy and sell, and they would exchange it at the temple for this, this money that was minted in Jerusalem. And then they would take that money and they would pay the temple tax in an, in, in, in an aspect of their worship to God. Well, the, the exchangers, those at the exchange stations, knew they had a monopoly on this. They knew every person, person worth, worth their salt was going to pay the temple tax. They knew every person worth their salt was going to have to exchange money to pay the temple tax with. So they hiked up the exchange rate profiting from all these millions of people that wanted to worship God by giving their money for this tax. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he sees how people are extorting worshipers of God and he will have none of it. He steps up to their stations and he begins to overthrow the money. Proving that truth was his ultimate purpose. Being, revealing truth. These exchangers, these money, these money changers, in an effort to get rich, were extorting people as they tried to worship. And so Jesus steps in on the scene and he'll have none of it. He confronts them and he throws over their money stations as proof. He doesn't stop there. He also goes and he finds those who sold pigeons. Why would Mark say, talk about the people who sold pigeons? Well, the Levitical law mandated that, that for your, your, your sin to be atoned for, you had to go out and you had to find a, a lamb uh, a perfect lamb, one without blemish, and it would be killed, and then the blood would be sac- or the, the animal would be sacrificed, the blood taken, and, and it was symbolically a washing away your sin. You saw this back at the Passover. That's where it was instituted. And all these thousands of years, the, the Israelites would take uh, lambs or bulls. The Levitical law demanded either lambs or bulls be sacrificed for the atonement of your sin. But The law allowed for those that were poor to sacrifice pigeons or doves. And so these these people, all of these these people would descend on the city 
And, and obviously they could not carry their animals with them on the long journey. So they would take their money and they would intend to buy animals to sacrifice at the temple when they got there, when they got to Jerusalem. Instead of carrying their, their pigeons, their doves, if, if they were poor, or their, their lambs and their bulls, if they were a little bit more wealthy, they would just take their money and they would buy an animal when they arrived. Well, Jesus singles out those who sold pigeons. Why? Because they knew that they knew this reality as well. Nobody was going to bring an animal with them. I mean, for goodness sakes, I've, I've driven a car with a dog. I hate doing that. <laughs> Much less walking or, or on a donkey or on a camel. So these, these people would buy and sell or would sell um, animals because they knew this reality. And those that sold the pigeons were hiking up the cost of, of, their, of the pigeons and of the doves, extorting, taking advantage of the poor as they desired to worship the God of the universe. Injustice reigned when the poor were extorted. And Jesus goes out of his way to make the point that when you extort the poor, when you take advantage of the poor, you take advantage of me. And he'll have none of it. And so he singles out those who are selling to the poor. And he overturns their tables, standing up for truth once again. The last group of people that, the, that, that Mark points out that Jesus confronted that day in the temple were those People that were taking a shortcut through the temple. The temple was a massive building. It would have taken, taken up many city blocks. And people found out over time that they could actually save money, they could make more money, if they would just um, uh, take a shortcut through the temple. Instead of going around the temple, that took a lot of extra time, they could just take a shortcut through the temple, through uh, the court of the Gentiles, through the courts of the nations, And they could make more money if they did that. And Jesus confronts those people. He, he, he reminds them that this is the place that the nations have been invited by a holy God to come and to commune with him, to interact with him, and to find him. And you have used it as a shortcut to make an extra buck. And Jesus confronts those taking a shortcut through the temple, the place where the nations have been invited to come and to find a Savior. So Jesus confronts three people specifically, and that Mark highlights. Those people that were, that were taking advantage of the exchange rate, those people that were taking advantage of the poor, and those that were taking a shortcut in an effort to make a buck. And in all three cases, impeding people's worship of a holy God. The story continues to unfold in the next verse. Now he begins to teach. He was teaching, Jesus was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? And now he's going to, uh, to quote the book of Isaiah. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you 
and made it a den of robbers. Jesus shows up on the scene and he has the audacity to say, this place is my house. I make the rules. You have leveraged my house. You have leveraged my house in an effort to make extra money. You have leveraged my house, and in doing so, you have impeded people's worship. You've impeded the peoples of the nation's worship. And in doing so, you've made this place a den of robbers, stealing from me. Now here's the, I want to be careful. I am not equating the, the temple with church. This place is not, is not symbolic of the place that, that, that God dwells. In fact, if you know Christ this morning, he actually, the Bible says he lives in you and in me, and he lives through us as well. So we don't come to this place to worship um, uh, the, the presence of God. The presence of God dwells in us and through us. We have an advantage. We have a huge advantage over the people that had to go to a specific location to worship. But I do believe, sometimes we believe the lie, that busyness and religious activity equals spiritual growth. And Jesus confronts it head on and says, nope, that's not the case. He closes it out in the last two verses. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because, of, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Well, this is not surprising. The chief priests were the ones that were in charge of what went on in the temple. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he um, impedes them from making a dollar as well. They, were, they got a, a little bit and they kind of skimmed off the top of all the money changers, all those who sold uh, animals. And Jesus shows up and he destroys what they've already set up in an effort to get rich. And so they are angry because he has impeded their marketplace. But they could not destroy him. They couldn't just come before him and, and, and take him out. They couldn't just kill him. Why? Because the crowds were astonished at his teaching. What were they astonished at? And this leads ultimately to our application. So what? What the, what the crowds were astonished at is what we this morning should remain astonished at as well. You see, they were astonished at many things. But one thing in particular, from this particular day, when Jesus cleared the temple. The Jewish nation... All throughout its history believed that when the Messiah showed up, that he would clear the nations out of the temple. Anybody who was not a Jewish, uh, not of Jewish descent, anybody who was not a Jew would no longer be allowed in the temple. It would only be for the Israelites, it would only be for the Jewish nation to worship. But when the Messiah showed up, when Jesus showed up, Exactly the opposite became true. Jesus steps into the temple, into the courts of the nations, and he clears it out. And in doing so, he beckons all people, all tongues, all tribes, 
all colors, red, white, blue, black. He beckons them all to himself and says, come, you have a seat to worship me. And the same is true today. The Savior of the world beckons us. He beckons those from India. He beckons Chinese. He beckons the Africans. He beckons those from the Middle East saying, come, come, come. You have a place at my throne to worship me, to understand truth through me, and have a relationship with my Father because of me. This morning, if you know Christ, those that don't in your circle of influence are being beckoned by the Savior of the world. Come. He dwells in you and through you. You're a conduit of that, of that invitation. Would you leverage those relationships for his sake? Some of you desire to see the nations drawn to himself. He invites you to go as he beckons the nations to come. Allowing the Holy Spirit to live in you and through you as a means of that invitation. Jesus shows up on the scene and he drives out the religious people so the nations could find him. And the truth remains today. Closes it out this way. And when evening came, they went out of the city, for indeed, it was a full day. Let's pray. Father, this morning, this time of, this, of, of the year, we, we remember that you are indeed inviting, beckoning all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all colors to come. That's the only reason you came. That was, that was fulfillment of our greatest need. And he didn't just do it for one specific line of people, one specific heritage, one specific race, one specific language. Every corner of this planet is invited as you beckon all of us to come and to find hope, peace, joy, purpose, salvation in you and in you alone. Lord, I pray that that reality would never cease to amaze us. For your glory we pray. Amen.